0: Uncover from CBC Podcasts brings you award-winning investigations year-round. Infiltrate an international network of neo-Nazi extremists.
1: granted with racist language.
0: Discover the true story of the CIA's attempts at mind control. Their
1: objective was to wipe my memory.
0: Or dig into a crypto king's mysterious death and a quarter billion dollars missing. There are deep oddities in this case. With Episodes Weekly... Uncover is your home for in-depth reporting and exceptional storytelling. Find Uncover wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast.
2: Hey, I'm Tamara Kendocker, and you're listening to Nothing is Foreign. So for the past few months, the world has been on edge and watching as Russian troops planted themselves by the Ukrainian border, waiting for Russian President Vladimir Putin's next move. And on Thursday, he made the call. Russia and Ukraine are now officially at war.
0: Breaking news. Moments ago, our NBC News reporters and producers in Ukraine reported hearing blasts in the region, a possible
2: sign. As Russian missiles continue to slam into Ukraine, Kiev has closed its airspace for commercial. flights. Ukraine's president has declared martial law. Explosions are being heard across the country, and Russian troops are moving in from all different directions. As we record this, things are changing by the minute. But today, we're taking you to Ukraine to hear from two people on the ground. One in Kharkiv, in the eastern part of the country, and another in the capital, Kiev. They're going to tell us what they're seeing and hearing as Ukraine finds itself in the middle of war. You're listening to Nothing is Foreign. Early Thursday morning, around 5 a.m., Kiev time, Putin launched what he calls a special military operation. In a televised address, he said he didn't want to occupy Ukraine, but that he would, quote, demilitarize the country. How he told Ukrainian soldiers to lay down their weapons and go home, and said that any intervention from outside powers would be met with an instant and devastating response. Since then, there have been attacks on Ukrainian military infrastructure across the country.
1: ...special in the last several hours, Russia has invaded Ukraine, advancing on this country in several directions early this morning.
2: And we won't give you exact numbers now because of how quickly the situation is changing, but there have already been reports of casualties among troops and civilians. Highways are jammed now, as people are trying to find their way west, away from the Russia-Ukraine border or out of the country.
1: Those pictures there we're seeing now, live pictures from here in Kiev, those people are heading one way and that is out.
2: Others are staying put and taking shelter in bunkers, subways and basements, wherever they can. Many people. I mean, we're talking hundreds of people spread out throughout this entire subway
1: station. There are just so many people, and they have absolutely no sense of what is coming next.
2: Ukraine has cut diplomatic ties with Russia. And Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, who's called this an invasion, said Putin's aim was to destroy his state but that Ukraine intends to defend itself.
1: We are issuing arms, uh, defensive weapons, to all those capable of defending our sovereignty each citizen of Ukraine will decide the future of our people anyone with military experience who is able to join the defense of Ukraine must report to stations um, calling uh, call up stations
2: This is a really complex conflict with a lot of history, and we're going to explain it in just a bit. But I want to start with a view from the ground. The first person we're going to hear from is Sarah Sinkarova, a freelance reporter in Kharkiv, the second largest city in Ukraine. It's just 45 minutes from the Russian border in the east, and there's been a real unease there for months over what Russia was planning to do. I reached Sarah at her hotel just hours after the attacks began. Oh, uh, Sarah, hi. Is that you on the line? Yes. Oh, hi. How are you? Thank you so much for doing this.
3: Oh, yeah, it's OK. I just don't have much time. But as long as it works, we can do it.
2: I guess just to start off, can I get a sense of where you are and, and what you're seeing around you?
3: OK, so right now I'm in a hotel in Karachi. So the hotel is one of the biggest hotels and remains so far one of the safest places in the city. Um, I was actually reporting from Kharkiv since this morning I was at the train station. uh, But obviously there is a big disruption of both traffic and, and, um, and trains and the metro as well, which is not working at all. The streets were completely empty. Um, I think nothing in the city kind of really works anymore. I've seen one shop, one supermarket, where people were trying to get supplies and buy lots of water and food. Meanwhile, the train station has been completely, um, you know, full and and essentially packed with people. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone was trying to to get the the, the earliest possible train. Most of the people were waiting for a train to Kiev that was supposed to depart at 1 p.m., but that never departed. And eventually, one of the train attendants, one of the officials at the train station, said that there would be another train um, at 3.30. And, um, of course, people were, were told that they would be able to depart to Kiev um, without having to pay for the tickets. So there was really, really this kind of massive line of people Wow. Um, at the platform waiting for the train and and hugging each other meanwhile it's been um, it, it's been it's been an awful day really and um i was trying to take the metro um to move around the city but um as soon as i entered the metro the lights went off and then the metro never left and then um, and then there was just this public announcement in Ukrainian saying that the metros are suspended until further notice.
2: And so you, you decided to go back to the hotel.
3: Yes, I decided to go to the hotel just for my own security and also because um, I'm reporting, but I'm alone. I'm a freelancer and I'm reporting alone. So, um, yeah. of course, I was trying to find the nearest safe place and also I've um, Kiev is not a safe place anymore anyway. So it's it's really a tough decision and this is a decision that I had to make well, you know, well I'm a journalist and I really want to report on people's stories, but this is a very tough decision for all the people, you know, who who had to make make these these you know extremely challenging choices on whether to to stay and just buy a lot of water and food and remain Mm -hmm. in their house knowing that the city might be encircled or destroyed or that there might be a fight or a shelling or to to grab the train knowing that there are no safe havens right now in ukraine right Right. and also the trains are disrupted or to take a car and flee but obviously this you know, a massive, massive kind of traffic jam all around the country.
2: And how how do you feel at the hotel right now? Does it feel kind of safe there? Or what's the atmosphere like at the hotel?
3: Well, right now at the hotel, it's calm. And as I was saying before, the city was very, very calm. It was kind of the calm, you know, before the storm. It was the unusual kind of... Um, Of calm while in in the train station it was unusually busy and people were very very stressed out Um, the city is empty and people are not panicking but obviously we are all um, making security plans for what's going to happen
2: What are your plans for the next little while? Do you have any idea what you're going to do?
3: At this point, it's essentially impossible to plan anything. I myself kind of ended up here unexpectedly um, because um, the train that I was taking last night was, um, well, while I was on the night train, we've all heard of the attacks early in the morning. And I myself had to make that impossible choice of whether or not I should just jump out of the train and, you know, in the nearest village knowing that I won't even know where I am or whether, whether I should carry on and, and, and head east and do my stories knowing that everything is cancelled right now and it was quite an impossible cho- choice you know, for me to make um, I, for now, I safely um, kind of landed in this hotel in Kharkiv, but it's impossible to say what I'm going to be doing in the next few days, but of course I'm ready to, to cover the humanitarian crisis because this is also a part of what I do as a human rights journalist
2: mm-hmm. and, and, um did you get a sense that people around you were prepared for something like this or did it come as a complete shock?
3: Well, for me, I was in Kyiv yesterday and Kyiv was kind of very, very calm as usual and um, very kind of normal. Everything was OK. You could go out for dinner. People were not panicking. At least I haven't seen any panic whatsoever. Um, but of course, you know, this is not something that was completely unexpected although i have to say that finding this out on the train heading to the east of the country was was a little bit of a shock and people were essentially you know waking up in the night and and you know the train attendants were saying there was an invasion but we don't know we don't know what to do
2: you sound panicked right now can you tell me about how you're feeling
3: i wouldn't say panicked but i'm um, of course Worried because yeah. this is, you know, it's, it's absolutely terrifying to to wind up in this kind of situation where you cannot make any plans essentially.
2: And what, what do you think people who are following the situation from outside of Ukraine? What do you think they should know about what's going on there?
3: Well, it's already um, an incredible amount of, you know, of, of suffering from the humanitarian level. You know, people suffer, children suffer, and of course is going to further deteriorate and I think as a you know humanitarian human rights journalist I think this is just it's just an incredible unimaginable level of human suffering that we are going to see
2: anything else you want to say that we didn't give you a chance to say
3: I'm originally from Slovakia and there's many other countries like Slovakia surrounding Ukraine or you know not too far from the Ukraine And I think it's really important that these countries, you know, become ready to accept Ukrainian refugees and and people who have fled. Because what you need to do in this kind of situation, and I saw so many families with children, you know, panicking at the train station. And I think Ukraine's neighboring countries, I know some have already, um, you know, prepared some, some plans.
2: Okay. Okay, Sarah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I hope you stay safe. Yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, take care.
0: Uncover from CBC Podcasts is your source for exceptional storytelling and groundbreaking journalism. Unveil the shocking secrets of one of Canada's most prolific fashion moguls.
2: He far exceeds Jeffrey Epstein. He far exceeds Bill Cosby.
0: And dive into the unsolved murders of two Canadian billionaires. This is a perfect storm of conspiracy theory. It's got all the ingredients, none of the answers. With new episodes released weekly, you'll hear the very best in award-winning true crime. Listen to Uncover wherever you get your podcasts.
2: So before we keep going, I want to just do a quick explainer to bring you up to speed on how we got here. There are a lot of layers to wrap your head around, so I'm going to try to make it as simple as possible. So first, there's what Putin says he wants a guarantee that Ukraine won't be allowed to join NATO.
1: Boris Yeltsin flew into Alma-Ata today in buoyant mood. He had come to bury the Soviet Union and to build the new Commonwealth.
2: Since the collapse of the Soviet Union, NATO, which is made up of a good chunk of Western Europe and the U.S., has been pulling the USSR's former members into its fold. And Russia worries that Ukraine joining NATO will mean basically that NATO's right on its doorstep. But the U.S. and NATO have refused to give that assurance to Russia. They stand by their open-door policy, which allows sovereign countries like Ukraine to decide which alliances they want to join. Tensions have been high since Moscow started stationing troops at the border at the end of last year.
0: The front line is increasingly moody. It's tense with expectation. The soldiers know this conflict is shifting and they fear the might of Vladimir Putin's army is massing not far away in the areas held by Russian-backed separatists.
2: But for months, Putin has been denying any plans to invade, saying they were just doing military exercises and protecting Russia's western border. Then, in a speech on Monday, he made a declaration, one that was seen widely as a sharp escalation of the tensions. Putin recognized Donetsk and Luhansk in eastern Ukraine as independent states. In the same speech, he repeated a point that he's made consistently, that eastern Ukraine historically was Russian land, something many Ukrainians vehemently disagree with. But there are pro-Russian separatists in Ukraine who agree with him. And the two areas he declared as independent have been controlled by Moscow-backed separatists since 2014. For weeks now, the U.S. has been saying that it has intelligence that says Putin has decided to invade all of Ukraine. And that brings us to today. We also wanted to talk to someone in Kiev. So on Thursday, we reached out to Maxime Kyokh a pro-democracy activist and political consultant who's based there. And I asked him what life there looked like right now.
1: Well, uh, I'm uh, right now I'm in Kiev. So uh, I even heard some shellings, right? So bombings. And I was woke up by my fellow uh, at 5 a.m. So I didn't have enough sleep, but still it's good that I was woke up. And then I just went straight to the street and there were lo- lots of people, lots of cars uh, going mm-hmm. somewhere And people were mostly uh, taking money from from the from the banks from from all these uh, machines, Uh, and uh, people were buying all stuff and goods in in, at the shops. So and it was kind of uh, terrible. And uh, at the moment, to be honest, I'm just sitting near the my basement because each moment shelling can can uh, happen. And uh, yeah, and sorry if, uh, if it, uh, it will be interrupted, but I'll have to go to the shelter. But hopefully it will not happen.
2: Yeah, please don't apologize. Uh, I'm just glad you're in a safe place. Have you been in touch with friends and family? How are they doing right now?
1: Oh, yeah, we are trying to somehow, you know, uh, uh, to, to say that everything is going to be fine, so don't worry. But uh, to be honest, some of my closest relatives are not uh, in the same city that I am. Uh, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of worrying uh, about them. But uh, we are trying to be in contact. But uh, every moment, uh, the connection might be lost. So there can be no mobile cell phone connection, as well as internet connections. So far, we are doing well. Just in the very beginning, in the morning, there were much more panic than, than at the moment because Hi uh it seems like we got used to all that because i I would like to emphasize on that we have uh, for eight years war already Mm
2: -hmm. yeah and this is all happening even though putin has said russia's only targeting military infrastructure and air defenses using high precision weapons that they have no plans of occupying what do you make of that i mean do you put any stock in what he has said about his plans
1: Well, of course not i mean (laughs) Uh, we don't we have no trust uh, in Putin. we don't believe Putin at all, Russian Russian regime because they still uh, live in their own reality, which has nothing to do with uh, with the reality itself. and they are uh, shelling and attacking not just military, not soldiers but also uh, peaceful citizens, for instance, in the morning in a little city, Uman, like, very peaceful city. It has no uh, military objects. It was it was actually uh, uh, under shelling, and then one man was killed and uh, was murdered. And, um, yeah, looks like Russia is not following what he's saying.
2: We've also seen uh, you know, reports of people lining up for gas, like trying to figure out a way to evacuate their cities. But where can people actually go? Is there anywhere in the country right now that is well, safe?
1: some... Well, I don't know why, but most of the people are going to the western part of Ukraine. But uh, still, there are also, there have been oil attacks in the western part. Some of them probably will move further to Poland and, and, and further. But uh, I think that at the moment, no region of Ukraine can be uh, safe, can, can be perceived as safe.
2: Did you have any plans for in case something like this happened?
1: Yeah, I had this, you know. You know, this backpack, uh, I had uh, plans, I had uh, a walkie-talkie and so on. But when it happened, uh, it looks like I wasn't prepared. I, like I said, I had to buy today goods in the shops, food, water only today. But uh, I think you cannot be prepared for this. I mean, not just uh, physically, but morally as well, psychologically, because it's no. really hard to be prepared for this. Though I, I, I think I am quite resilient. But uh, it's hard when you're thinking about what, what's going to happen next, next uh, moment, next uh, minute, and next hour, and next day.
2: I mean, what are your plans for what's next? How do you plan to handle the next little while?
1: Well, this is a tough question. Somehow, uh, if I stay in the city, I have to figure out what, what, I will go, what I'm going to do. But if I go, if I, if I go to another part of Ukraine, Again, I have to to have a good plan for this because, like I said, I have to help my relatives uh, with this. And uh, yeah, we'll see. I, honestly, to be honest, I don't have a precise plan for, at the moment, but I'm working on that. I don't have a military experience, uh, but if it will be needed for sure, I will do this.
2: What has been the response from the Ukrainian government? What are they telling people to do right now well
1: probably you know that during the uh, the last uh, several months uh, the ukrainian government was trying to some kind of uh, um, uh, tell people that uh, please no panic don't panic it's going to be fine we everything is under control but now it seems like they're very honest and, and saying that yes russia actually has uh, moved to our territory what is also very good that uh instead of uh, you know spreading panic instead of uh, spreading some news about that ukrainian soldiers were killed or or something like that they are really spreading good uh, news about that uh, ukrainian soldiers are still keeping holding the line we are working the army is working the entire security and defense sector of ukraine is working
2: what kind of response are you hoping for right now from the international community
1: there must be more sanction, sanctions imposed. Uh, we just, only today, we just stopped uh, the diplomatic uh, relations with Russia. And uh, we uh, think that it's time for other countries to do the same. Because I would like to emphasize that this is not just some kind of conflict in, in one part of, of Europe. Uh, but it's a conflict which uh, that can actually influence on all the geopolitical uh, perspectives.
2: I know you haven't slept all night and things change mm-hmm. so drastically overnight and I, you're doing this interview with me right now, but I imagine you haven't really had time to process what's happening. And I just wonder how you're feeling right now, like on a, on a human level.
1: Um, I have no fear. That's the first one. And, uh, I, I'm feeling optimistic, uh, Ukrainians are get used to fight against aggressors and Ukrainians are get used to succeed and to win and this is what's going to happen sooner or later it will happen I'm more than sure and please believe in us and uh, please believe in our victory
2: across the border in Russia there are already signs that the Kremlin's actions aren't going over well with the public Mass anti-war protests have broken out in dozens of Russian cities. Russian police have detained more than 1,000 people for speaking out. Around the world, leaders have condemned Russia's attack on Ukraine and Putin himself. And the U.S., Canada, the U.K., and other European allies have moved to impose sanctions. On Russian banks and oligarchs, they've also announced export controls that are designed to hurt Russia's industries and military. While it doesn't look like the West and its allies are about to send troops into Ukraine, which isn't a member of NATO, NATO has reinforced its member states in Eastern Europe.
3: And make no mistake, we will defend and protect every ally against any attack and every inch of NATO territory. And
2: that's the reason also- Thousands of Ukrainians are fleeing the country, and humanitarian groups have warned that we're witnessing the beginning of a new refugee crisis in Western Europe, and possibly beyond. We'll leave you with the words of a woman named Yelena, a 31-year-old who just arrived in Poland from Western Ukraine.
3: I am very, very scared for Ukraine, I am, I am very saddened, I am still hopeful, I am still hopeful, I believe in, hum- in humanity, I, I believe
1: in good in people and that situation still can change that West and uh, that West Europe and uh, America would help these people, it's, it's not fair.
2: And that's all for this week. You've been listening to Nothing is Foreign. Our producer is Joyta Shangupta. Our sound designer is Graham McDonald. And our showrunner is Adrian Chung. Nothing is Foreign is a co production of CBC News and CBC Podcasts. Willow Smith is our senior producer, and Nick McCabe Locos is our executive producer. Our theme music is by Joseph Chavison. If you're a fan of Nothing Is Foreign, we would love it if you would leave us a review or rating wherever you're listening to this. These make a big difference in helping new listeners find the show, and we'd really appreciate it. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CBC Podcasts. I'm Tamara Kandacker. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you back here next week.